All right. Well, hey, it's good to see you this morning. And uh, today I want to kick off our uh, new sermon series that I'm calling Awakening. And uh, my hope in this sermon today is simply that you would examine your own heart. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a series of questions, and I want you to be asking those not of your kids or your parents or your spouse, but of yourself. And so let's begin with what I think is the big question. It's really a simple question. Do you want more? Like, do you want more? And now, uh, when I mention do you want more, I'm not talking about more stuff, right? Like that, like all of us want more stuff. You want a nicer, you know, house or a newer car. You want the latest gadgets. You want elaborate vacations and an early retirement. You know, I'm not talking about like mere consumerism. Like I, I think we've probably got that one covered, don't we? I mean, if it's not a lack of imagination when it comes to coveting, that is the problem for any one of us in this room. Like we're masters of that. That's not what I'm talking about. When I ask, do you want more? I don't mean those sorts of cravings, those sorts of longings. In fact, those are simply a symptom pointing to what we really are talking about. And when I say, do you want more? I mean, do you want more of God? Or maybe a better way to put it is, do you want God to have more of you? I mean, just stop just for a second and think of that. That Do you want more of God and do you want God to have more of you? Like, Do you want to walk, like really walk and live in the fullness of the Spirit of God? Like, Do you want God to move in your life in such a way that you've only like read about in the Bible or in, you know, histories of the early church? Like, do you want deliverance from that sin that so easily entangles you? Like, do you want that? Do you want more? Like, do you want to experience a, like a new and fresh quality of your spiritual life that comes only through experiencing the nearness of God? Like, do you want what you assume, like you assume this of other Christians, like people who are more mature than you, further down the road, more active in sharing their faith, more active in service? Like, do you want that? Like, do you want more of that? Like, do you want what maybe earlier generations would have called an enlargement of your heart? Like, do you want God to move in your own heart? Like, to change you from the inside out? Like, are you spiritually discontent? Like, are you desperate for more? Like, do you want something real, something authentic, something that can't be manufactured or manipulated or simply stirred up by good lighting and nicer music? Like, do you want something that's real? And does that longing that you have like extend beyond the confines of your own life and touch those around you? Like, do you yearn for others to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? Like, do you learn, yearn for your brothers and sisters in Christ to wake up and really like live their lives under the authority of Christ? Do you long 
like for your neighbors, for your family, for our city, for our nation, like to be woken up. Like do you long for God to move, to show Himself in power? Can, can you pray in desperation along with the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 64? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Do you long for that? Like, Do you want to see something like that? He goes on to say, when you did awesome things that we look that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And so Isaiah is praying, Lord, I do that again. Like I've heard stories. Like I've read the histories. I know about our nation's rich history with you showing up in power and doing wonders and changing nations. Lord, do that again. Please do that again. Like do you want to see the nations tremble at the presence of God? Do you want God to make His name known? Like, do you long to experience in your lifetime a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Like, have you heard, like you hear the stories when we have missionaries visit or we come back from a trip of our own and we tell you how God is working among the nations and so you hear stories about how God is working in Asia. How churches are just being planted every single day. And you hear about how Africa has gone from what was called the dark continent to now the Christian continent. You hear those stories and say, God, please, please do that here. Or Africa and Asia are going to start sending missionaries to Texas. And by the way, Africa's already doing that. Like, do you read the stories of past spiritual awakenings in our own nation or in the world? Like, do you read the history of the early church and how the gospel just exploded on the scene? and change the entire world and pray, Lord, please do it again. Like, Do you want to see God transform your life? The life of your family? Your church? The city? Our nation? Do you want more of God and for God to have more of you? Do you want to be able to pray? Like honestly pray from the depths of your heart God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no 
water? Do you want this passion for Christ to be true of you? Like, do you long for a great awakening? That's what we're talking about. Do you long for revival? And when I use the word revival, when I use that term, like I don't know what comes to mind with you, you know, driving through the country and seeing a tent and a sign that says revival. Like when I mention revival, I'm not talking about an event that you can schedule on a calendar or a series of meetings held by a church. Like you cannot call anything revival and then magically make it happen. It does not work that way. Like the word revive literally means to bring back to life and only God, as we saw last week on Easter Sunday, only God can raise the dead. And so here's a great definition of revival by J.I. Packer. He defines it this way. Revival is God. Like That's the key word. Revival is God touching minds and hearts in an arresting, devastating, exalting way to draw them to Himself. Like, do you want that? Well, I like arresting, but devastating? I'm not so sure. He goes on to say, it is God, once again, it is God accelerating, intensifying, and extending the work of grace that goes on in every Christian's life. It is the near presence of God giving new power to the Gospel. Like new power to the Gospel. Not a new Gospel. Not a new message. But new power to the Gospel. And he concludes this way, it is the Holy Spirit sensitizing souls to divine realities and generating deep level responses to God in the form of faith and repentance, praise and prayer, love and joy, works of service and outreach. Like, do you want that? for yourself. Like for our church. Like for our city. For the United States. Do you want that? And are you willing? Here's the key question. Are you willing to pray until God rends the heavens and comes down? Are you willing to pray until this happens? Like, I'm not sure if, you know, revival's in the air or something, though it certainly has become the topic of conversation in Christians as well as secular circles with the Asbury University revival that happened just a couple months ago, just kind of spontaneously. This movement of God that has since spread to other schools and churches. There's a lot of talk in the air about revival. And a lot of believers are wondering, is this the time? Like, is it now? Is this it? Like, I think it's intriguing that in God's timing, what happened at Asbury kind of coincided with the release of the film The Jesus Revolution. How many of y'all saw that movie, The Jesus Revolution? You really ought to see it. It's just, it's excellent. The Jesus Revolution 
the movie uh, told the story of America's last nationwide revival. Like we've had uh, regional like movements of God that were extreme, but the last nationwide revival came to this country in the years following 1969. At the end of the hippie movement, at the end of the disillusionment brought by that, God moved. And so I would encourage y'all to watch that movie. It's so encouraging. And it shows you like a lot of this that I'm seeing like it's true of us right here and right now. And beyond the movie, beyond Asbury, the Bible has a whole lot to say about the topic of spiritual awakening, both on a personal level and on a corporate level. Revival is the message of the prophets. I don't know what your reading plan is right now. I'm doing the Renewed Mind reading plan, so I'm in the uh, the Psalms right now, reading them very much, a lot about revival and renewal. But when you get to the prophets... That's all their message is. Like they're trying to wake Israel up. Right? Like Israel is spiritually asleep, spiritually dead. And the prophets are calling Israel as a nation back to God toward repentance and renewal and reformation. And that's because the prophets know and we need to know that revival is a sovereign work of God. Revival is a sovereign work of God. It cannot be scheduled. There is no formula that will guarantee it. Now, now I'm, that may be a sure way if you have a formula to end a revival, but you can't start one that way. Like when revival starts with God and moves in the hearts of His people and things begin to change, it's when we start packaging that and promoting that and taking the attention off of God onto ourselves that it just squashes it. it. It grieves the Spirit of God. Revival, true revival, is always, always, always a miracle. Like we cannot, cannot place our trust in human strategies no matter how pious they sound, right? As if they can produce the desired outcome, two plus two equals revival. It doesn't work that way, right? That sort of pragmatism has corrupted the American church and turns off all of you, right? Like that's what we hate about church. Like when we think that we can somehow package the work of God and guarantee that He will act in a way that we like desire or direct Him as if we can command God, that is the prosperity gospel. And God hates the prosperity gospel. You see, true revival can't be manufactured because it's the supernatural work of God. Packer goes on to say, revival is a work of God by His Spirit through His Word. Like the ordinary means of grace, empowered by the Spirit of God under, under the direction of our Sovereign Father. It's the work of God by His Spirit through His Word bringing the spiritually dead to living faith in Christ. If you're here this morning and you love Jesus, God did that. 
Mama didn't do that. Daddy didn't do that. Growing up in a Christian family, hearing a powerful message, being moved by good music, if you are regenerate, if you are alive from the dead, God alone did that. And the Holy Spirit also renews the inner life of Christians who have grown slack and sleepy. Does that sound like you? Slacker? Sleepyhead? Like my kids will tell you, when they were young, I used to walk in my boys' room on a Saturday morning when they were still in bed, and I'd walk in and say, hit the lights, scream, make some noise, and then I would say, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands for rest, and poverty breaks in like an armed man and want like a bandit. And my kids would be like, oh, daddy's quoting the Bible. Amen. That's right, brother. Like, does that sound like the American church? Slack and sleepy. Guys, it's time to wake up. In his book, Revival, Richard Owen Roberts observes that the Western church has a lot of activity, maybe more than ever, but it is simply a sleeping giant. And then he writes this, that when revival comes, it awakens the sleeping giant to move with dynamic power and glorious impact. Can I just say, guys, I long for this. I so long for God to awaken His bride, to fill her with power, to make a difference in this world because only He can do that. Do you long for that? Like I believe that God has more of Himself for us to experience. A deeper intimacy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has more for you to experience? A greater intimacy with Him? A life that can only be explained by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit of God. True revival is a sovereign work of God. And true revival is also a generational work of God. What I mean by that is that God Himself works at specific times in His people, in His church, in a city, in nations, but that does not in any way guarantee the spiritual dynamism of the generation that follows. What I mean by that is we cannot inherit spiritual passion from our mama and our daddy any more than we can inherit salvation from them. Like faithfulness to God is not genetic. Like we see this in the book of Judges, don't we? Like God does incredible acts of power. Like the kind of things that we say, if God did that and I saw it, I would never doubt again. Like ever. He opens the Red Sea, and they walk over on dry land. He feeds them by His hand with manna from heaven for 40 years in the wilderness, and then He gives them the promised land, the land of Israel. They're planted there as a nation, like feasting from gardens that they didn't have to plant and living in cities that they didn't build. God did that, and they were faithful to Him, and they followed Yahweh 
for a generation. And then they begin to drift. And they fell into sin. And it says in Judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God sells them into bondage, into slavery again and again. And they cry out for deliverance. And God sends a judge who comes in power and delivers them. And once again, for a generation, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, they're faithful. They follow God. And then their kids forget. And their grandkids forget. Like we see the same story in the history of the kings of Judah. I mean, they had the example of their their brothers in the northern kingdom being unfaithful to God for generation after generation after generation until Assyria comes and destroys them and carries them off into captivity. And yet, in the southern kingdom of Judah, you have faithful kings and you have unfaithful kings. You have times of great revival where God moves and everybody wakes up and they're like, what in the world are we doing? Like, this was crazy. What were we thinking? Worshiping Baal? Like, that is so vile and gross. Throwing our kids into the flames? What in the heck were we thinking? And then the next generation does it again and again. And then a faithful king or a priest or a prophet, God raises them up and the people wake up for a moment, for a generation. And then they go back to sleep. In fact, we see this pattern in the New Testament as well. I mean, just think of the church of Ephesus. I can't think of a church that has a richer history than the church founded by Paul pastored by Paul and Timothy and the disciple John where the Virgin Mary went to that church. Like that was her church. Like they had incredible teaching. Paul writes three letters to that church, two to its pastor and one to the church. In that letter to Ephesians, he commends them for their faithfulness and for their love And yet we read at the end of the New Testament in the book of Revelation, Jesus Himself speaking to the church of Ephesus, He says this, He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for My name and you've not grown Weary. I mean, that's that's a good resume. Like, I want to go to that church. Like, this is a church that stands up for the truth. When people come in claiming to be leaders, claiming to be speaking for God, they call them out, they test them, they evaluate what they're saying, and they come up with the right answer. This person is not an apostle. They've persevered. Like... When everything is pulling them away, they have not grown weary. But Jesus goes on to say, Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Hey, you got everything right, except uh, you don't love me anymore. You're just going through the motions. You're staying the course, but I'm not traveling with you. 
You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you had fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You have to wonder, what in the world happened to the church commended by Paul for its love? Well, what happened is a new generation arose. This is years later. I mean, this is 30 years minimum after Paul wrote his letter and this generation of people who loved Jesus had kids. And their kids had kids. And these are second generation and third generation Christians now that Jesus is speaking to. Because you cannot remember inherit spiritual passion. If I ask you about your, your Christian life, don't tell me about your mama or your dad or your wife or your husband. You can't inherit spiritual passion. You can't inherit spiritual life. Like faithfulness to God is not genetic. Like we experience this principle play out in our own families, right? I mean, some of you grew up with a mom and dad who really loved God. Some of you grew up with parents who were completely indifferent. And regardless of those two scenarios, you had to come to a point if you are a believer at all, where you said, no, this is mine. Like, I want Christ to be the Savior and the ruler of my life. I repent of my sins. Mama can't repent for me. Like, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. Like, you had to come to that point. And some of you are raising kids right now and you so long for them to love Jesus with their whole life for their whole life. To pass you spiritually. But all you can do is set an example. Train them up in the way that they should go and pray, pray, pray. Because as much as you love Jesus, they have to get there by the power of His Spirit in their own life for themselves. And so let me just say, with that being true, don't let that truth drive you to despair. But let it drive you to desperation. Like we should be desperate people who cry out for God to do what only God can do. Let it drive you to pray, Lord, please do it again. Like do for my kids what You did for me. Do for my grandkids what You did for me. But... Lord, don't stop there. Like, up it. Like, I want more for them. I mean, historically, a generation before the American Revolution, our nation experienced what was called the first great awakening under the preaching of people like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. Now, it was the first great awakening, not because it didn't take Right? But because a new generation was born and they needed a second great awakening and a third great awakening and a fourth great awakening. Guys, the same is true of the Jesus people movement of the late 1960s and early 70s. Like some of us are older and old enough to have seen a little bit of that or heard about it. We know people who went through it. 
but we cannot ride the coattails of their genuine spiritual awakening. Like we need God to move in a fresh way to awaken this sleeping giant called the church. John Stott explains it this way, the desperate need of the church today is the Holy Spirit. He's what we need. We need individual Christians filled with the Spirit. More than that, we need revival. A mighty supernatural visitation of the Holy Spirit in the community. Nothing else will save the church from its own spiritual lethargy or our community from lapsing into complete paganism. And so you got to wonder, listen, if, if revival is completely a sovereign work of God, does that mean we just kick back and do nothing? Well, of course not. It just means that God won't be manipulated. You don't deserve revival. You certainly can't demand revival of Him, but we can cry out together to our gracious Father to awaken His church beginning with us. Beginning with you. In fact, just the thought I had this week was, don't you want to leave the church in the United States in better condition than when you found it? Like, shouldn't that be the desire of each one of us? I mean, we talk about that when we think about, you know, the pollution in the world, or we think about the economy, or we think about, you know, global warming or whatever. We want to leave the world in better condition than when we found it. Well, what about spiritually? What about Christ's bride? Don't you want to leave the church in better condition than when you found it? And since that's all in the hand of a sovereign God, we need to pray. And that's why this sermon is simply a call for us to begin to pray. To cry out to God and say, God, like I know what my role in revival is. It's simply to pray. That's where I need to start. We need to pray to God to bring spiritual awakening until, until He does. Maybe you'll be praying for five weeks. Maybe you'll be praying for five years. Maybe God will answer this prayer after you've gone home to be with Jesus, but we need to pray. Like it's not inconsistent to pray for a sovereign work of God. Tozer puts it this way, that whenever we have our hearts stirred to seek after Christ, God is always previous. Like God is always previous. What he means by that is if you have a desire for God, where do you think that came from? If you're trying to seek God, where do you think that originated? But we need to reciprocate. As God moves in our heart and speaks to us, we need to respond in obedience and pray. Charles Spurgeon declared, whenever God determines to do a great work, He first sets His people to pray. In fact, strangely, for the most part, it's young people. It's teenagers and 20-somethings who begin to sense that discontentment with the church and with the spiritual status quo. 
And they're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And they long for more and they're more in touch with that. And instead of chasing after all the emptiness that their friends are chasing after, they begin to seek God. That's the history of revival for the last 2,000 years. But guys, it's not just the young. One of my favorite stories of revival came in the Hebrides Islands off the northern coast of Scotland in 1949 when this guy right here, Duncan Campbell, was called to speak at this island called Lewis because these two elderly women, both in their 80s, single sisters, the one on the right is blind, God had moved in their hearts to begin to pray for revival. And so they would meet every night for hours praying together that God would send a great awakening to their island. And then they called their pastor, not Duncan, but their pastor at their church. And they asked him, would you begin to pray? Gather the men in that barn and begin to pray at the same time we're praying. I mean, you've tried everything else. You tried special meetings and you've tried different programs. Have you tried God? And so he tried God. And he began to pray. And then they sent for this young preacher, Duncan Campbell, just to come to the island to speak. He gets off the boat and the elders meet him in whom the Spirit had already been working. And they asked Duncan Campbell, are you walking with God? And he said, and I knew that I was among serious men. And he got to the meeting that night and the church was packed and he spoke till about 11 o'clock at night and he said he felt like God was honored in the message and the people's response was good, but there was no sense of movement. And so they sang a hymn and they opened the doors And then outside the church, there were 700 people gathered that the Spirit had prompted at 11 o'clock at night when Instagram did not exist to go to that church. And so they stood outside and sang a hymn and he began to hear people wailing and crying 200 others had showed up at a police station because they knew the police captain to be a serious believer. And God began to move in revival in the Hebrides Islands. To which I say, do it again, Lord. You see, Jonathan Edwards writes about revival and he says, when God is about to bestow some great blessing on His church, it is often His manner to show His church their great need of it and to bring them into distress for want of it and to put them upon earnestly crying to Him for it. Are you in distress? Are you desperate? Can you, like John Knox, pray? John Knox prayed for his nation. Give me Scotland! or I die. What a prayer. George Whitfield prayed in the first great awakening, give me souls or take my soul. Think of the great missionary to India and Persia, Henry Martin in the late 
18th, early, yeah, 18th century and early 19th century, he arrived in Calcutta. He saw the worshiping of idols and people laying prostrate before them. He, he heard the blasphemy against the name of Jesus and he wrote these words, I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if He were to be always thus dishonored. I cannot live if Christ be dishonored. How can we? Can you pray, Lord, give us revival or we die. Lord, give us revival whatever it takes. You know, America's last great awakening was the Jesus Revolution. Followed a time of longing and searching. In fact, it made the news in Time Magazine in 1971. Our nation took notice because the hippie movement had changed into something. You see, they'd gone through the 60s with all these promises of tune in and turn off and like do these drugs and you'll have a deeper reality. Free love, free sex. Cast off the restraints of your culture, of your parents, and you're going to have an encounter with God. And at the end of the 60s in 1969, they had yet to meet God. All those promises turned out to be empty promises. And they were either going to go into despair or embrace the message of the Gospel and thousands, thousands across our nation and across England did just that. Now sadly, thousands did not. Millions instead kept doing the drugs, kept chasing after sex. But now what had changed was not the, the activity, but the hope. Like I grew up in the 70s, and in the 70s, people were still doing drugs, still sleeping around, but they were no longer looking for some kind of an inner truth or light or God they were doing it to numb themselves. I look at where the church, where revival and our culture was in 1969, and I look today at the same empty promises of autonomy, self-actualization, cast off the restraints, don't listen to your folks, don't listen to the culture. You get to define yourself you can be whatever you want to be. And guys, there's a payday coming for that. Because that path ends in despair and hell. And there's a payday coming. And I think, like I really, I truly believe that we are at the door of either national revival or national judgment. Like we're at that point of distress and desperation and we need to stop looking horizontally for what God can only solve vertically. The psalmist writes, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? Will it come from the mountains? No. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and the earth. I don't look to the mountains for my security. I look to the Maker of mountains. Like we can't, we like we cannot solve spiritual problems with a new election and a new president. No politician can save us. Everything we see around us 
or the symptoms of a spiritual problem. America needs a great awakening. And short of that, it'll be a great judgment. And so really it comes down, I've thought this week it's going to come down to this. Either we will be the remnant or there will be revival. Because God always keeps a remnant. He did with Israel. He will with us. Christ will build His church. So it will be either remnant or revival. And so let me close with this. I want to close with just a quick story from the Gospels that's a perfect illustration of our current position. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus and His buddies, His three closest disciples are descending from the Mount of Transfiguration and they step right into like a big controversy because there's a demon-possessed boy that the Father is saying, help me do something. And the disciples have been trying to cast out this demon and nothing has worked. Like it hasn't worked. They've, they've been doing it all over as Christ sent them out and two by two to do ministry. They had done healings and they'd cast out demons and they'd preached the gospel. And yet at this point, it wasn't working. They had tried their hardest and they had utterly failed. What caused the failure? What caused ours? You see, the church today, like those disciples, have tried everything. But have you tried God? And so Jesus steps in and He casts out the demon. The boy's now in his right mind. And it says, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, there's not a one size fits all spiritual kind of approach to spiritual warfare. There was a difference. Jesus points out between this kind and the kind they had been dealing with so successfully. And the disciples had stopped had had not stopped to consider this kind. And they needed to understand what they were up against. Like guys, this is not your mom and dad's country. Like things have shifted under our feet. We need to understand the depth of the problem that confronts us. The precise nature of what the need is. We need to understand this present darkness and understand that this kind cannot be driven out by anything in your bag of tricks. This kind cannot be driven out by better lighting and good music. This kind cannot be driven out by advertising and branding, by compromising the Gospel. This kind cannot be driven out by apologetics or winsomeness or cleverness. This kind cannot be driven out by Instagram or TikTok or your own wisdom and power. This kind can only be driven out by prayer. And we need to understand that this kind causes us to cry out for God to work in a power that only He has, not in our power. We need to be aware of our need, our helplessness, we need to be desperate to God to rend the heavens and come down. And we need to pray until He does. Let's pray. Oh Lord, would You rend the heavens and come down? 
that the world may quake under your feet. And Lord, our desire is not for a physical shaking. We know that's coming. But that You would shake the hearts of men and women and boys and girls in our church beginning with us, in our city, in our nation, in our world. That You would wake people up to spiritual realities and that You would precede that by waking Your church up. That we would no longer be slack and sleepy, but that we would pray for an awakening until it comes. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.